Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which of course means today is Wednesday. I'm out in Ashburn covering practice today. Spoke with Ron Rivera and Carson Wentz at their respective press conferences. It was in the locker room as well. I'm going to share with everybody the latest from here, including an update on Brian Robinson. But in addition to that, I wanted to make a an announcement here that leads into the main guest today. That is none other than former Washington head coach Jay Gruden. The plan is that Jay Gruden will be with us every week, midweek, to look back at the game that was and look ahead to the upcoming opponent. So Jay and I talked today about his view of the opening game. What did he actually see, you know, with Carson Wentz, the receivers, defense, um, but also get his insight into certain circumstances that a coach goes through in the moment, the preparation for a game, certain choices. We even talked a little bit about the Nathaniel Hackett call uh, on Monday Night Football, the bizarre call to go for the 64-yard field goal instead of giving Russell Wilson a chance in his first game with Wilson um, on a fourth down play. In any event, excited for you guys to hear this conversation, but also to have Jay throughout the year. So we'll get to that in just a moment. In addition, I talked to uh, Jeremy Reeves for, for just a couple of minutes today in the locker room for a story that I'm writing on The Athletic that I'll go up tomorrow about it wasn't just enough to acquire the piece, to acquire the quarterback in Carson Wentz. You had to have the pieces around him and how much different the group is. Well, not only did they acquire the pieces in advance of Carson Wentz, but how different that receiver room in particular is. And I got Jeremy Reeves' view on that since he's somebody who's been here in some capacity since 2018. So we'll get to that in a moment as well here on the podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or for the commercial free version on the Athletic app. Of course, you can hit me up on Twitter at Ben Standig. Go check me out on the Athletic as well. Uh, let's get just some quick notes here on practice, and then we'll get to the conversations. Uh, first off, Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson was seen today out by the practice field. Now, he did not practice yet, but he was working on the side with the training staff. He was riding a stationary bike initially, and then he was doing some agility drills on that uh, ladder that, you, you know, that you've seen have on the ground. Uh, he was going front. He was going, he was going forward. He was going backwards. He was go, going side to side. Obviously, tremendous signs. You know, again, as we get it, he's having been shot twice in the right leg that he's able to do anything. Uh, and just simply be here is is the win. But in terms of football, it looks like he's getting closer. Uh, you know, he he's out now at least three more games, and we'll see where if he's able to come back officially by week five. But Ron Rivera seems hopeful at this point, and seeing him out there doing this is clearly a pretty good sign. Uh, Cam Curl, thumb surgery, as we know, he missed last week's game. He was able to do some work with. The secondary today in unit drills before the main part of practice. Now, he didn't do a ton, but he did something, which was more than he had done last week. Um, I talked to him a little bit after practice today, and, you know, he's an upbeat guy. I think he's hopeful to be able to play, but we'll see. I noticed when he was doing stretching today, he wasn't putting 
really any pressure on his right hand as he was on the ground. Uh, and, you know, he told me that was a little bit of just being careful. But obviously he, he couldn't do a ton. And then when the team, when, when the defensive backs, the safeties were doing certain drills, he was just kind of watching them. And then when practice ended, he went to the side field. So we'll see as the week progresses what he can do. Um, I asked Ron Rivera today what he felt they missed without Curl in the game against Jacksonville. And while he touted Derek Forrest, because obviously Derek Forrest had a really good game, I believe I saw that Pro Football Focus said Forrest was the highest rated safety for any team in week one, but that they missed Curl's presence around the line of scrimmage in particular. He's a bigger guy than Forrest at 6'2". Um, he's, you know, they both are pretty aggressive players. Um, it's a very interesting deal now that whenever Curl can come back, having now seen Forrest, you know, Washington will have a lot more thumping in the secondary than they've had in some time. So we'll see where Cam Curl is throughout uh, later in the week. Um, also, today was the first time we had a chance to look at the new defensive uh, lineman Donovan Jeter, uh, defensive tackle from uh, undrafted out of the University of Michigan that the team signed in camp uh, or signed this week after the Federian Mathis injury. When you look at Jeter, you can kind of tell the appeal. Huge guy. It's not just that he's 325 pounds, but he is a big guy. And that was what Rivera said that they wanted. They wanted a big, stout, physical presence, a, quote, space eater, end quote, in the middle. And they, they don't have a ton of size after you get past Allen and Payne. I mean, Daniel Wise, I think, has shown to be effective when used. And F.A. Obata can be thrown in there a pinch. But neither one of those guys are, you know, even for defensive linemen, the largest of people. That's what they hope they have in Jeter. Again, we'll see how that goes. They also added a defensive lineman to the practice squad. I'm going to butcher his name, so I won't say it. But um, they've got a, a, another guy there as well. So they've added some depth. They didn't add really any experience, which to me is still a little confusing. I know that Fedarian Mathis, as a rookie, didn't have experience, but he has talent. So when you don't have, you know, that kind of talent, you maybe want to look for some some experience if you're going to use somebody. They instead went with a rookie in Jeter. We'll see how that works out for everybody there. Um, going back to the injury front, uh, Wes Schweitzer was limited today. No, I'm sorry. Take that back. Wes Schweitzer did not practice today with his hamstring injury. I talked to him briefly Um in the locker room and you know he's obviously a bit bummed that that happened but look this is the nature of the sport it's a rugged sport uh you know so injuries are to be expected it sounded to me like he would not have been able to come back in and play um, against Jacksonville even in a pinch so I don't know what this means for him this week but again if he doesn't practice over the next couple of days I think the answer will speak for itself that said Trey Turner was a limited participant in practice today with a quad injury so you know we know this team had a bunch of injuries on the offensive line interior offensive line throughout the summer and it's showing up here in week one as well speaking of injuries uh Lions running back DeAndre Swift did not practice today with an ankle injury. Um, you know, I have not seen the full reports out of Detroit as to what was behind that decision. Needless to say, this is a significant thing to watch. Swift had over 100 yards on the ground against the Eagles in week one. The Lions ran very effectively against Philadelphia, and we know that Washington struggled 
in their uh, run defense against Jacksonville. So something to keep an eye on for sure, both for the commanders as well as all of you fantasy football people out there. Um, Speaking of fantasy football, obviously the receivers in Washington did everybody very well (laughs) last week. And I asked Jeremy Reeves about about that, not about your fantasy teams, but just about the evolution of this group. Because, as I said at the top, it's not enough to have just gotten the quarterback. You've got to have the pieces around him. That's the offensive line, but it's also the playmakers. And in one offseason, obviously... Effectively, they added Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson, you know what I mean, with Samuel plus Carson Wentz to, to go with the group with Terry McLaurin. And it's funny, I looked this up earlier. In Terry McLaurin's first three years, this, the wide receiver with the second most catches, he led the team with receptions every year. Second most receptions, Steven Sims in 2019, Cam Sims in 2020, Adam Humphreys last year. Needless to say, it's not the most dynamic of uh, second bananas. And now you have Curtis Samuel and Jahan Dotson, and it's only one game, but clearly the potential is there for some significant numbers for all three of these guys. So I asked Jeremy Reeves about that evolution that he's witnessed. Uh, here's what he had to say uh, about the offense, uh, the offensive playmakers. You've been here for a while. You've seen this roster evolve, and you've seen uh-huh. the receiver room change. Terry's been a staple for a few years, but for the most part, it's different. No disrespect to any guys who came before, but as you're in practice, do you feel the difference now when it's Terry, Curtis, Jahan, combined with the running backs and Logan versus three or four years ago? Yeah, night and day. I mean, the stress. And every, you know, you got stress outside of numbers. You got stress in the alley. You got stress on tight ends. You got stress in the backfield. And then Carson also can extend plays too, so it's like it's tough, you know. It, may, it makes covering and playing football a lot more challenging because those dudes can get open. Ron's talked in the past before the Wentz trade about sure everyone's a quarterback, but you've got to have the other pieces too. You can't just have a quarterback and then not much around. Does it feel kind of like it kind of worked out that way? That hundred percent, like his weapons all around him now. So now to take the pressure off of him. And now he can spread the ball out. It takes the pressure off the guys, too. Like, for instance, Terry. Terry's been the guy, so everybody's honing on Terry. Now Terry has Curtis. And now John is coming to the scene. You still got Logan. And then you got the freaking monsters in the backfield with JD. <coughs> um, when B-Rob comes back. And then um, AG. So it's just like, who do we account for now? Yeah. And then our offense does a really good job of how they use guys. So, I mean, it's, it's night and day. When you're in practice, do you ever? I mean, I'm sure you get you get you get the best of them as well. But do you right. ever times going? Come on, like oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah like yeah, stop. Yeah, well, I told Curtis. So we've been telling Curtis all week. We were like, hey, all those uh, plays in training camp where you were saying they might they were they were going to be missed tackles. We agree with you now because <laughs> uh, after what you did on freaking Sunday, that's a uh, that's legit. So I mean, yeah, man, it's. You know, we compete, and when when it's competition, you know those guys make you better at the same time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's different. It's different when you got all of them out there on the field at the same time. All right, uh, always fun to hear from Jeremy Reeves on that, and always fun to hear from Jay Gruden. So let's get to that right now. My conversation that we're going to have every week uh, with the former head coach of the Washington Redskins, talking about the game. They just played against the Jaguars and looking ahead to the Lions and also just getting insight from a head coach, uh, things that we may not be thinking about that a coach has to do with throughout a game. So here we go. My conversation with former Washington head coach Jay Gruden. 
All right, joining the podcast as promised is former Washington Redskins head coach Jay Gruden, and uh, you know Jay is going to be with us. I think pretty much uh, throughout the year. Wednesdays, uh, I'll be talking. We're talking Wednesday morning. Excited for that. And Jay, welcome back to the podcast. Week one is in the books. How uh, how you feeling? I feel great. It's good to be here. Good Sunday football and Monday football was very exciting. Uh, we were discussing before we started. I heard you say the other day on the radio that you watched the games on Sunday at a at a sports bar in the area. Uh, what is that experience like for a former head coach who coached the team in the area? Because I would imagine people were coming up to you just like bother you the whole time. No, it was pretty uh, quiet in there. We had a good time. I went with my two sons, JJ and Jack, and uh, head was on a swivel. There's a lot of good games on, a lot of interesting twists at the end of those games, missed field goals, overtimes, ties. I mean, it was a crazy, crazy day. But for the most part, I was uh, just enjoying the day. I mean, it was obviously the one thing that's frustrating as a fan of football is I only get to really watch the one game now because, you know, kind of busy in the press box. So the Commanders-Jags game was very entertaining. But, you know, missing all the other stuff. And I used to love watching at a sports bar to see five, six games at once, whether it was because I had fantasy football or bets or just to see the chaos. So I'm kind of jealous that you got to uh, experience that. I-, I assume you've never really had to experience that for the, for years, right? Because you were obviously yeah. oh, busy. No. Never got that luxury of sitting at a sports bar, eating chicken wings and having a beer, watching these games on TV. So, yeah, it was fun, though. It was, uh, it was entertaining. You hear somebody cheer. You're like, what happened here? trying to find a game that somebody scored on or something. Uh, it was, uh, it was fun. It was quite the event. Did you hear anything in particular that made your, made you go, what the hell is that person talking about? No, no. It, volume was down and we're just, we're just watching the game. So it was, it was, it was good. <laughs> well, well, good, man. Well, I'm excited to, to excited to chat. Obviously we'll talk about the, about the Washington game and, and maybe look ahead a little bit to what might, what happened, uh, what may happen in Detroit. Um, but just in general, like week one of the NFL, what was your sort of big takeaway? There was a lot of close games, some some, some upsets for sure. Um, what was your take of just sort of the general day and the play overall? Well, I mean, there's you can go through every game. There was some interesting twists and some things that you didn't expect, some things you did expect. Uh, you know, I think there's some upsets, um, some teams that looked a lot better than they were supposed to look, and some teams that looked a lot worse than they were supposed to look. So that's typical week one of football. Usually week one, you're getting your kinks out. Coaches are trying to find out who their best players are. And then week two will get better and better. Week three, four. And then usually the cream will start to rise at the top, usually by week eight or nine. And you'll see the better teams start to uh, show their head. And uh, that's usually what happens. But week one is usually quite the misnomer. You just never know what happens. You can't get too high or can't get too low after a week one win or loss. Now, you've been around the league for a while. I don't know exactly at what point they sort of started to dial back what you could or couldn't do in training camp. And now there's even one less preseason game. Does does the fact that teams are not allowed to do as much as they did back in the you know the heyday of sort of the league, the eighties, nineties, whatever, does that contribute to sort of that week one chaos where people are just maybe not completely as ready physically or whatever to to kind of get out there? I think physically guys are ready, if not more uh, now, just because they're more cardio. They're they're healthier they're not getting beat up in training camp you know back in the day guys were doing two days and full pads you can say it's getting them ready but it's also hurting them a little bit too they're getting beat up now right. they're ready to go um but there is some merit to some of the younger guys maybe not getting enough exposure uh getting ready for the game so your younger backups your younger starters are probably less 
prepared now than they were, but the veteran guys I think are uh, in better shape. Okay. So, um, with the with Washington, obviously a, a pretty wild game. We got our first taste of the Carson Wentz experience here, kind of all over the place. As you're watching that game, what was uh, what, what kind of? I guess well, let me ask you this: What were your thoughts about this team going into the year, and then how did it sort of play out as you watched the game? Well, I think both teams, you know, look at Jacksonville and Washington; they're both expected to take major steps forward. You know, uh, Jacksonville with a new coach and they got some of their players back. They got a first round draft pick, uh, the big kid from Georgia. Um, and then Washington as well, getting Carson Wentz and making some improvements, getting some guys healthy like Samuel. Uh, both of them expected to make major jumps this season from the year before. And I think both of them show that they have gotten better and have made progress. There were some ups and downs in the game for both teams, but it's very important for the team like Washington and Carson Wentz to get that confidence boost of, Let's screw up. We're going to screw up a little bit. The game's going to ebb and flow, but let's take over at the end and make a big play, which he did. And it's a great confidence boost for Carson and the team. You know, obviously we can nitpick or not nitpick. We can point out the, the, what Carson Wentz struggled with. Obviously, the two interceptions on back-to-back plays, although the second one by Trayvon Walker was a pretty sp- spectacular play by him. Uh, we can talk about the overthrows uh, all, all throughout the game. And we can talk about the really good passes, the touchdown to Terry McLaurin and to Jahan Dotson. But I want to ask you about the end of the game, knowing where Carson Wentz has been the last couple of years and how that journey has gone, played out very publicly, getting you know traded away by two teams in back-to-back years. A lot of questions about him. You maybe don't want to see him put you in the spot where you're now trailing, but to see him have the uh, fortitude to come back like that, how important how important do you think that is for a coach, for a team to see that your quarterback, even if the chips are down, is going to be able to stay in the game for you? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's important. It's, uh, you know, the two interceptions are what they are. They happened. Jacksonville did a good job of taking a lead. Uh, But to come back like that and have a rookie receiver get separation like he did on the corner uh, and Carson to put it in there for the touchdown is is critical for both guys' confidence. You know, I, I think – even though it's only week one, it's a win against the Jags. I get that. But the way they came back, the way they won, and the way these players stepped up, the rookie uh, from Penn State, um, Terry McLaurin making a big play, the quarterback making a big play, just gives everybody that uh, confidence because throughout the year, they're going to be down. And it just gives them the, the, the confidence, hey, we can come back. We've done it before. We've been there, done that. Uh, that is very important moving forward. Isn't that like I, I always notice it's more in basketball because everybody has their hands on the ball. It isn't just – the quarterback and you can kind of see how guys who maybe for the first 90% of the game play at a certain play a certain way. But when it, when the chips, when it gets down to the end, maybe they're getting a little tight. They're passing the ball a little bit more frequently. They don't want it. They're, they're, they're kind of hiding out a little bit as a coach. I mean, do you, I'm sure you've noticed throughout the year, some guys who kind of fade off and some guys who really, really want that ball are, are willing to step up. And I mean, that's just gotta be, you obviously got to gravitate towards those guys. Yeah, no doubt. You never know who they are until that moment comes. Uh, that's pressure-packed moment. Some guys relish in that time. Some guys fail and, and don't want anything to do with it. Uh, and you're exactly right. Those are the guys you got to find out on your team who they are, the guys that really want it, the guys that really will come through tough times and make the best plays. Was there somebody back in, in your time here that sort of stepped up that you were like, you just didn't know for sure? Because, you know, whatever, like you said, until you're in the circumstance, how do you know? Was there somebody you remember thinking, oh, okay, this is a guy that's going to step up for me? 
Uh, well, you know, you have certain guys on your team. Kerrigan always stepped up in big ways and big times. You know, he's always a crunch time player, but you always want your quarterback. I think Kirk Cousins started to develop into that type of guy, you know, once he got the confidence. You know, he lacked confidence early in his career. Once he made some plays and gained some confidence, you could count on Kirk to make some throws uh, in critical times. And then, you know, the other guys, usually great players make great plays in big-time games, and that's always the case. Pierre was always like that. Deshaun would always make a big play. Jordan Reed would make a big play. Trent Williams is always there to count on. So we've had guys like that before. Typically, it's your best players. They better make the plays in big-time uh, situations. Yeah, no no, no, no doubt for sure. Um, so what did you think in general of Carson? I mean, just overall, you obviously are a, a quarterback guy, and I'm sure, you know, obviously we're – now that you're a TV watcher at a sports bar, you're like the rest of us. You're watching the football in that regard. What did you see out of out of, out of Carson? What did you like, and what what, what did you uh, think? He, something he needs to kind of work on. Well, obviously, I think the knock on Carson in the last few years has been his accuracy issues. You know, after he got his injury early in his career uh, with his back or knee or whatever the heck it was, something happened to his accuracy, his anticipation, his confidence in the pocket. I think it's starting to come back a little bit he still had some accuracy issues missed some throws high which he you know shouldn't miss um but he did make some great plays so as he plays more gets more familiar with scott turner's offense maybe he'll gain more consistency in the pocket scott will give him more throws he's more comfortable with and i think you'll see his percentage passing percentage go up and up uh as he uh gets better and better and more confident in this offense but he's still a little bit inaccurate in my mind uh but he'll get better as a guy who has worked with quarterbacks, like, and I know you didn't like, you know, you're not fundamentally breaking down per se, but like when you're just looking at him, what's a thing you would point to, to say, Hey, well, this is what we need to do to help your accuracy. Cause I know I've seen people like Kurt Warner and others talk about like his base. Sometimes he's like, his eyes are one way, but his feet are going in another direction or, or what have you. What, what, what's something you think it would be, you would sort of look at to say, Hey, this is where we need to, to work on. Typically with quarterbacks inaccurate or missing high, it's usually his base is either too wide or he's over striding um, or his balance. Maybe he's off balance when he's throwing. Uh, and there could be some variables too. I didn't really look at all those throws that he missed. Maybe he had somebody in his face. Maybe he had to avoid something and his feet got all uh, unraveled, so to speak. So he, typically it's your base, your balance, and then your follow through. Um, things that I'm sure Carson's worked on his entire career. You just got to become more consistent in the pocket in that regard. And I think it'll come with uh, more time. On the positive end, you know, some of the throws he makes are pretty spectacular. I think on uh, the Next Gen Research uh, website, they have a, a stat that's like the most improbable completions, you know, based on whatever analysis and, and camera work they have, you know, one the passes just should not have worked. Of the top 10, Carson Wentz had three of them this week. And Terry McLaurin yeah. said, on the 49-yard touchdown pass that he caught in stride that he's like, only a few guys are able to make that kind of a throw. Do you see it that way too, that while there's downside with Wentz and inconsistency, the upside is pretty is still pretty spectacular? Well, that's what will make you pull your hair out. He can make those throws that are incredible. He'll, he'll throw a screen pass right to Trayvon Walker. You're like, what the heck's going on here? You know, I, he has got the talent, there's no doubt. That's why he was a top pick in the NFL draft a few years back. Um, but he also has some issues. That's why he's on his third team. Uh, but the upside uh, is why you take a chance with a guy like this. He's young. He's still young, which people don't really – they forget. He's a young quarterback. He's going to make some mistakes. He's going to miss some throws. But the talent that you see, uh, the size that he has, um, the ability that he has, is worth the risk taken with a quarterback like Carson. 
Um, I, I mentioned all right uh, before right before we started, I sent you a couple of uh, clips of a couple things from from the game that just I, I had access to. One of them was the uh, second touchdown that went through. It was the seven yard pass to Jahan Dotson, and it looked to me like on that play, like there's like three defensive backs on the side where Dotson is, but Dotson makes a nice move to cut inside. And the defensive back seems to uh, the safety in the middle seems to pull up towards the line for reasons I couldn't quite understand. Um, uh, I didn't give you a ton of time to to study it, but what did you kind of see on on that play, and, and how did that kind of work out for Washington? Yeah, it looked like they were doubling Terry on the other side, and the safety came down, and they were a little three way man to man with the back and the tight end. Um, they they obviously. One went one way and the back came the other way. They crossed and uh, safety came down to take uh, the back, but he stayed in the block, so he came down. The other safety, typically you see a free safety in the middle. looked like he came out of the middle to double Terry on the outside uh, to the left. So uh, it was a single high safety. The corner should have never let uh, Dotson get inside. He should have been inside leverage. And uh, fortunately, it worked out for the commanders and got a touchdown. Um. You, you mentioned Dotson earlier. We just mentioned him now. I mean, I've watched him all summer and have been really, really impressed. But similar to when you say uh, you don't know if a guy is going to be able to step up in the big moment until you have a big moment, you know, we don't know that he's going to that Dotson's going to be able to translate what we see in practice into the games. Well, he clearly did on Sunday with the two touchdown catches. Uh, He's not the biggest guy, but he's got a really good route runner, great hands. The catch radius is the big term with him. What 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 did you see with with him, uh, and, and how you know does he kind of remind you of anybody throughout your uh, career? Uh, yeah, I mean he's he's a different guy. He's, he can play outside and inside, and he's a very talented guy. And he does run great routes and have big strong hands, which is critical uh, for that size of a guy. So you know he's kind of Jameson Crowder. He's probably faster than Jameson was. Probably a little bit more. Versal told Jameson was kind of relegated to the slot. Uh, Dotson can play outside and inside, it looks like. So uh, that's the comparison I would use. But obviously, to play your first game in the NFL and have a game that productive is very, very uh, impressive to me. Yeah, he he uh, he was really good. And, like, you know, for this offense to score the way it did when Terry only has the two catches, obviously the one was a, a really important one, a 49-yard touchdown late in the game. But there's no way this offense is moving the ball through the air much if he only has two catches over the course of a game. And I think it kind of shows how much they've added um, at that position over the last, well, you know, over the last two years to, to help uh, ter- Terry out. How, how much, uh, when, when you're watching a game, do you sit there and think, wow, if I had these three receivers, I would look to do this, that, and the other. It would be a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, we've been fortunate. We had some good teams as well with the receivers with Deshaun and Pierre and yeah, Jordan and Crowder and Chris Thompson. I mean, I, it's not like I was uh, horrible. You know, <laughs> at the end of my career, we kind of – the cupboard was bare. A lot of those guys were hurt or gone. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, that touchdown you mentioned, uh, they come, they take the safety out of the middle field and double Terry and let everybody else play man-to-man with no help. I mean, that's, that's the type of play that Dotson's going to have to make throughout the year. If they're going to double Terry, leave everybody else singled up, Somebody else has to step up. Now they have guys that can do that. Samuel obviously can do it. Uh, um, Dotson, I think Logan Thomas can do that. Obviously the backs proved that they can get separation. So they have a lot of matchup issues. The defenses are going to have a lot of matchup issues with the commanders moving forward if they continue to uh, play like this. Yeah, you obviously had a lot of uh, good receivers. By the way, completely random note on Monday when I went out to the park, 
uh, for, you know, to talk to Rivera. I went find in search of coffee. And according to my GPS, it said there was a Starbucks inside the Target right near the uh, facility. So I went in, got coffee, came back out, and somebody is walking towards me. And he says, you look familiar. I'm like, yeah, Jordan Reed, I covered, <laughs> covered you uh, for, for, for a few years. Um, so that was like completely random uh, speaking since you just mentioned. mentioned well, do, do you, uh, he's still in town, too. Do you, uh, you see him at all? I haven't seen him in a while. We both moved out. Of, we both lived in Creighton. We we're neighbors, and uh, we both moved out. So I haven't seen him since we moved away. Got, 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 gotcha. Um, what well, anyway? What anything else about the offense? Uh, Scott Turner's play calling seemed to be pretty interesting. I mean, it, it's very. It, it was a lot of exotic looks. You had like a four bunch set at one point, uh, a, a couple times on on the left side, and there's tons of of motion. I think maybe sometimes for fans, we get a little like, ooh, there's a lot going on. And maybe there is, and it seemed like it was creative. But from your perspective, did you did you like uh, what 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 you saw, or what kind of stood out to you about the play calling? I think uh, you know a lot of the motions and stuff like that are window dressing. Sometimes you get some man zone tips. Sometimes they help the offense. Sometimes they're just uh, overkill and they the pain on the neck to call and do. But uh, usually, if you have a method for your madness, it's good. And I think their method is quite simple. I mean, they're trying to get guys like. Samuel, the ball in space, uh, the, the backs, the ball in space, instead of just handing the ball up the middle, they're getting these guys, the ball out in space, using exotic formations and motions. That's what you have to do. I don't think any team right now in the NFL is good enough to line up and just run the ball up the middle and dominate their opponent in that regard. I think you have to be creative with some formations and motions to get guys the ball that you want to get the ball to out in space and create matchup issues. Uh, and that's what Scott's doing. And that's what I think he's going to continue to do because they have guys, that can make those plays out there. You know what I always, I always wondered? Like, I mean, I think I have a feel for this, but I'll, what do I know? Let me hear it from you. When you're scouting the next game and you're looking at what it, during the regular season and you're looking to see what they do, are you looking to see what they do because you want to see how to counter what they you, you want? Sorry, you want to see how to stop them, or are you doing it because I want to know what part of my playbook I need to turn to? Because I always assume in the regular season it's more about you than it is the opponent because the opponent's changing every week you want to look at their personnel first and see who their best players are and make sure those players don't kill you you know what i mean so you got to make sure you have a plan for those guys and then uh if you're talking about a defensive perspective and looking at another team's offense you got to see formations what might give you problems if you're playing zone you're playing zone nothing should really hurt you but man-to-man issues you might have who you need to get help with uh with a linebacker maybe a safety what have you um and then make sure you're uh, sound in what you do and handling these jet sweep motions and all that. And then offensively looking at defense, you want to, no, number one, make sure you're protected. Make sure you protect your quarterback. What blitzes they have? Who's their best pass rusher? Do we need help uh, somehow, some way? Uh, pick up the blitzes and then attack their coverages. Um, the, the, uh, the, the first game of the year, obviously you know your schedule way in advance. Doug, from a game planning perspective, that seems like the one where you should have the most preparation you're going to have over the course of a season, how much in advance of that first game are you actually starting to really break down the opponent and then figure out what you guys are going to do? Actually, if you're playing against a new coach, none. You don't have any. Uh, and you really just look at the preseason, try to get their base defense, their base fronts and coverages. Uh, and then offensively, you're probably going to see their personnel. And that's about it. You got to hope that your zone coverages, your fronts, your defenses uh, will play uh, obviously will work out, and usually it does. Most teams are sound in what they do. And then offensively, uh, same thing. You're not sure you're going to get their base fronts and coverages, but you're not going to know their blitz 
packages yet because they haven't shown them. So uh, if you're playing against a veteran coach with the same staff, then sure, you can go back a year. But you're always going to see new nuances that uh, you haven't seen before from that staff. So week one is usually the hardest week in my mind. And that's why I think a lot of teams struggle offensively. Do, do you now, like, I, I, I'm, well, what do I know? Maybe you're breaking down tape all the time. I don't know. But when you, uh, when you are watching it, do you think to yourself, as, you're, as an offensive guy, do you look at, like, Washington's defense and think, okay, here's what I would do. I would I would attack this. You sort of have a, a play in your like a sequence in your head of what you kind of would do in these different spots. Yeah, for sure. I think number one, you want to figure out ways to attack people uh, like their worst corner, or maybe their safety if they're playing man to man, and then zones. You have to figure out what's the best concepts to beat those zones, uh, and then you want all purpose plays that'll work versus zone or man, and those are the hard ones. Uh, you might have to have a zone play pass play called canned with a, a man-to-man crossing route or something like that or uh, a single high beater so yeah for sure you're always looking at plays and new plays different ways to attack defenses without a doubt so um i'm curious your thoughts on washington's defense in a second but one of the other plays i sent you was uh at one point jacksonville's inside the red zone and or around the red zone and they have uh set up where christian kirk's in the slot and jamin davis is covering him for for Washington, you look at that immediately and you think, oh no, this is not a good deal. You wouldn't really want any kind of linebacker, I would think, on a guy like Christian Kirk, but especially maybe a guy like Jamin Davis who's still kind of learning. I, when that happens, is that because you, as the offensive coordinator, have manipulated things to such a degree, or is that just sort of almost luck to an extent that Washington played two safeties deep and therefore had a linebacker up front? Uh, the, in the red zone like that? Well, to me, and, and again, I just looked at it briefly, it looked like it was a 3-deep, three, 3-under fire zone. So when you're playing a 3-deep, three 3-under three fire zone, uh, your backer is going to be responsible for an area. The safety came down here, responsible for an area. And then your other backer was responsible. And then you're blitzing five. So really it's 3-deep, three 3-under. Three so it doesn't matter how the people formationally come out it's going to be the same three deep and the same three under fire zone and jamming just happened to get stuck with uh christian kirk who's lined up in the backfield i believe so uh yeah that happens every now and then when you play zone tight pressures um if whoever's in your zone that's who you got to take and that's the area that you have and that's what happened with jamming and then like the preparation going into the week is this one of those moments where the quarterback has got to recognize oh that's a matchup for me to take advantage of right off the bat First of all, the quarterback's got to pick up the blitz. So it was a five-man pressure look for Washington, and it was a good disguise. Uh, and then they got to find the matchup and, and get the ball to them. And that's exactly what happened. It was uh, a good play by Jacksonville, uh, not a bad defense by Del Rio. It just so happened that uh, the matchup on that play call was that matchup, which doesn't happen very often, but it did in that play. <laughs> gotcha. Well, um, another one I sent you was, uh, and I – Apologies, I don't. I didn't write down the 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 moment of the game, but uh, Jacksonville was heading. I was away from the press box, which of course is a, is a direction that means nothing to anybody. But uh, <laughs> uh, Tre- Trevor Lawrence is throwing to Zay Jones. It was inside the the Washington thirty, and William Jackson is the boundary corner. He's like eight yards off the ball uh, on the snap, and Zay Jones just runs up a little bit, then cuts inside. Big cushion. Lawrence hits him pretty easily, uh, and I was just curious. If, if you saw that one, if not, no big deal, but just the what's the coverage there and what do you why are, why do you have a defensive back layoff that much when you're you know getting relatively close to the to the end zone? Again, to me, it looked like it was another 
fire zone. Fire zone meaning it's a zone concept. You're blitzing five. It's a three deep, three under fire zone. So William was responsible for his third of the field. Uh, and there should be a couple underneath players possibly there to help them out on the underneath routes. But if they have to match up with their uh, players going out, then they, they he loses the underneath help, which happened, I believe. So, you know, it's a tough deal for uh, corners, especially in those three three under fire zones because they got to be responsible for the deep third. And if the guy runs a slant route, they're going to drive probably they're going to be late on the slant routes or the deep in routes. I don't know how cornerbacks play in this era. I mean, just between the, just, you know, the, the, all the, with all the rules seemingly favoring the offense now, you know, they're, they're, they're emphasizing sort of a, you know, contact down the field even more right now at the start of the year. Uh, I, I don't know how these guys kind of had, you know, are able to sort of play that position and like play and play out, but I guess they have to have that mentality that you just move on. Uh, but it just seems like such a tough, a tough deal uh, out there relative to almost any other position other than maybe quarterback. Uh, yeah, it's all right. I think tight ends are hard too, but the corners, you know, they, they have a tough deal, especially in the man-to-man in some of these zones that we're talking about. Cover two is easy for them. Some of the quarters coverage is pretty easy for them, but um, you can give your corners some relief by calling cover two or quarter, quarter, half or something like that. So that's, that's the good thing about being a corner. The bad thing is sometimes you get matched up in hard situations with tight splits or uh, bunch sets or, stack sets or something like that where you're playing man-to-man you get out of out of whack but uh yeah it's a tough position so what do you think about the defense just uh overall obviously cam curl was out that's their most versatile i would say most versatile defender overall but Derek forrest filled in nicely there uh no chase young obviously but the pass rush seemed to do a pretty good job as well what do you kind of think of the defense uh overall yeah, I think uh, they got to be semi-pleased. I think there's always room for improvement there. I think their defense should always play better. Uh, but I was impressed with uh, Allen and Payne again. You know, I think Deron Payne had some really good pass rushers, pushed the pocket a lot, got his hands on some balls and got a sack. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think you got to get more from Sweat. And I think when Chase Young comes back, he'll get more from that pass rush. So, yeah, I think the, if you can get home with those four guys, then you can mix up your coverages and give Williams some help on the outside by playing some different coverages, quarters, cover two, quarter, quarter, half, cover three, your lurks, your man-to-man. So, uh, But when you start having trouble getting pressure with four and you got to bring five, that's going to put your corners in a lot of jeopardy. You know, that's they're going to have to cover a lot longer. You know, it's going to have to do a good job covering. So um, in a perfect world, they'll get pressure with four and be able to mix and match your coverages. Um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned pain. You mentioned sweat. Uh, we talked about Terry earlier and obviously John Allen, you know, those are four guys that were from your uh, time and you can make the argument, you know, sort of leaving Carson and went out of this for now that those are the four best players on the team still. Uh, does that, uh, I don't know, does that do anything for you? No, not really. I, you know, I love all those guys. Those guys are great players, great people. So uh, you, you know that uh, you better have some good players in your era. I was there for six years, six and a half, six and some change. We better had some good players, and I think we had some good players. Unfortunately, our best, some of our best players uh, were not available, like Trent and our quarterback who got hurt, and Jordan Reed. Um, but uh, yeah, we 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 had some good players, some good draft picks. Um, I'm making myself a, a personal rule. I'm not every time you come on here. I'm not going to turn this into uh, let's go let's go back in time and talk about the team. We we do that plenty, and I'm sure things will come up organically. But just for the for the audience, we're not doing that every time. But I was just you know it just stood out because obviously. You know, yeah. we're talking. We're talking about these guys. Um, uh, that uh, that that said, what what uh, what did you like about the uh, 
the 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 pass rush. Obviously, no no Chase Young, but they did seem to get pretty good pressure even without having to blitz a, a ton. Uh, what did you what did you kind of like from there? That maybe this is a sign of what they're going to be able to do going forward. I like the way they get pressure inside. You know, I think, uh, like I mentioned, I think uh, if you continue to use Duran and and get Jonathan Allison pressure inside, that makes it hell on the quarterback. Just so you know, if you get if you can get pushed from the inside, even if they're not getting sacks, just to feel that internal push to make you either back up to let your edge rushers uh, just get that extra half a second or second to get home. It's critical and to mess up the timing and the rhythm of the play. You know, as a quarterback, the one thing you never want to feel is somebody in your face whether it's your guard getting pushed back where you can't step into a throw and that's what happens sometimes with Carson when he gets Aaron throws and throwing them high is because there's pressure in his face and he can't step into the throw so that's what I like best about their pass rushes the ability to get pressure on the inside and then the outside pressure will come once they get you know Chase Young back and sweat will get going so they're going into week two against the Detroit team that ran for a ran very effectively against the Eagles DeAndre Swift had over 100 yards um, I don't know how much you were able to see of that per se, but based on having seen the Washington game, how much pause does that give you about Washington's ability to stop the run? Because Jacksonville averaged nearly seven yards a carry, and if they don't fall behind as they did, maybe they run it even more. Um, was there something of concern, do you think, for Washington's run defense, or was it just sort of the kind of just a couple things just didn't work out? Yeah, I mean, there's got to be concern there. They're playing against a team that can run the ball. You know, DeAndre's going to run the ball effectively. And uh, I watched some of that game, um, and they, they were down 17, and they came roaring back and cut it to three and had a chance to, at the end to maybe make a run. So, yeah, I think as a defensive coach and as a head coach, uh, your biggest priority is to stop the run. There's nothing worse than going into a game and just watching a team have eight play 80-yard drive, running the ball six or seven times just right down your throat, you're helpless. And then you have to bring safeties down. You have to, uh, Then you have to really expose your corner. So uh, they got to do a good job. Be able to protect your corners uh, and stop the run is huge because you don't want to be in eight-man fronts all the time because then, then your corners will get exposed to some of the receivers like St. Brown at the Lions have. Uh, obviously, they lost Fedarian Mathis for the year with a knee injury in this game. He was brought in to replace Matt Ioannidis, essentially be the third tackle. They're going to have to now shuffle things around. John Allen and Dron Payne had to play more in that game. Did you have a, in your head sort of a, a number of like, I, I need to have my defensive linemen, you know, even the best guys, you know, rotate enough. Like, I don't want them out there for 90% of the plays or whatever it is. Did, was there sort of a number for that? And is that potentially a concern that they may not have enough guys behind those those two starters to keep those two fresh throughout the year? That's actually a great question because we I went, had arguments with coach Tom Sewell a lot over this man because he he really was a strong believer in a rotation and keeping these guys fresh which I understand that I was a firm believer and I want my best players out there in critical situations I don't give a damn how tired they are get them out there you know what I mean yeah I don't want Jonathan Allen on the bench and his third down and five against the Eagles in a crunch time situation because he it's his turn to sit down drove me crazy uh so yeah there's a fine line there you, those guys are big and they're taking a lot of heat Throughout the game, they're taking double teams. They're rushing the passer. Uh, they're chasing screens down. You have to keep those guys fresh. So that's the fine line your defensive line coach has to really have his finger on. Hey, hey, this guy's played too many snaps. we got to get him some rest. But you also want him out there in critical situations. Um, last question on the defense. The, uh, my issue for them, like I don't try to play the X's and O's game because you, I don't know anything relative to you guys at all. 
but I always try to look at some things I think I have a feel for, like the roster. And to me, the depth on this defense in particular seems pretty thin. And then you look how the game played out. They played sub-package the entire game, every single play. But still, only two linebackers played defense the whole game. At cornerback, only three cornerbacks played defense at all. They put they used their safeties a bit more, but only that. Those are two positions where I felt they seemed pretty weak in terms of depth. How unusual is that? that you would literally only play two linebackers on defense at all and then only three corners. I get everybody's healthy, and like you just said, you want your best players on the field. But nonetheless, is that a sign of them recognizing there's depth concerns, or is this just, hey, screw it. If we have our best players, I don't care what we have behind them. Yeah, those guys should play every play. If you're the starter and you're playing well and you're doing a good job, those guys should be out there on the field all the time. Linebackers don't really come out and sub. Those guys don't get tired. Defense linemen are different. They weigh a lot more, and they're taking on – a lot more punishment on the interior. Your linebacker should be freed up. You never see Bobby Wagner come out for the Saint or for the uh, Rams or when he was with the Seahawks. You never see great linebackers come out. You never see Jalen Ramsey come out of a game to get a rest unless he's had like three deep balls back to back to back on him. Uh, so yeah, those guys need to play. They need to be out there. You don't see subs in that those those positions very often unless there's a, a position battle going on. Right. I guess in the case of like Jamin Davis and I, uh, you got to give him reps to get better, but he still seems like he's struggling in coverage, not just against even Christian Kirk, but just in general. But they don't have anybody else to go to when it's whatever, third and something. Yeah. Times and yeah, like you said, in base packages and sub packages, you get your substitutions out. But if they're in sub packages the entire game, then you're not going to get as many rotational type players. Your bigger backers aren't going to play. Your bigger defensive ends or defensive linemen may not play as much. Your your bigger, strong safety may not come in the game. Your run-stopping safety may not come in the game as much. Um, any, uh, any, any thoughts on the Detroit game? Anything as a head coach based on what you've seen from these teams that you would, you know, for your, 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 it's top of mind for you going into this one? Well, I think you got, you got to just make sure your mentality is right. You know, I'm sure the uh, Washington team will have their mentality right. You're coming – to it, you're playing a team that's going to be they're they're against the wall. They're on hard knocks. They're all over the news. They just got their ass whooped. They made a comeback. They're they're going to be hungry. They feel like they got to win this game. Uh, and then Washington just make sure they're not overly patting themselves on the back. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> they they beat the Jaguars for God's sakes. Everybody calm down. But this is a big game. Uh, you have to beat the likes of the Detroit Lions in order to win your division. I think in NFC East. Uh, so it's a big game for both teams. Lions to get back in it. And then obviously Washington to uh, maintain their their uh, level of play that they started with. Um, two other I just broad NFL questions before I let you get out of here. Uh, everybody was talking about the Nathaniel Hackett decision on Monday Night Football to on fourth and five. He lets the clock run down and ultimately decides to kick a 64 yard field goal rather than put the ball in the hands of Russell Wilson. In the first game, he's working with this new star quarterback who they just paid a bazillion dollars to and it's in Seattle the place he just played for many years at, a, at, a, at the highest of levels uh what what did you make of that overall decision both in terms of the strategy but also to not give Russell Wilson that shot in his first game with you and against his former team yeah yeah you feel terrible that the decision like that had a major impact on the game Obviously, Nathaniel thought that uh, McManus could make that kick, uh, and I'm sure he can make that kick. He's uh, one of the strongest leg kickers in the history of the league, to be honest. But it's not at Denver. It was at Seattle. Denver, the altitude's a little bit different. Yeah. And I'm sure 75-yarders in Denver in practice. Uh, however, I think if he had to take it all back, 
There's no doubt about it. As soon as they had that third down play to get it to fourth and five, they take a timeout right away to talk about their next play or their next decision. Why they didn't take the timeout is beyond me. They had three of them. Um, and I think that's something that Nathaniel will want to have back is take the timeout as soon as that ball stayed in bounds on third down. Take the timeout. Let's talk about it. Let's get our best fourth and five play or kick it if they want to kick it. Uh, in those circumstances, how do you like? What obviously a lot's happening all at once, and it's easy for all of us on the couch here at the sports bar to say, do this, do that, but you have to make the call as the head coach. What what is that process for you in that moment as the clock is ticking down and it's fourth down? Is it just you know in your head what to do? You're consulting 12 people. Like, what's that process? Well, it's easy if you have timeouts. Use a timeout, you have time to like calm your brain. Okay, now what are we going to do? Now, if they didn't have any timeouts, and I can understand. Uh, some of the confusion and, 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 and things of that nature. Um, if they were in field goal range already, then I'm sure Pete Carroll would have called timeout because they would have kicked the field goal and got the ball back. They weren't technically in field goal range, so Pete didn't bother to take a timeout. Um, uh, they were expecting uh, Nathaniel to take a timeout, but I just think they should have taken a timeout. It would have been worked out for both teams. <laughs> yeah, no, with that and that. All right, normally we ask people like yourself to make a Super Bowl prediction before the season starts. I've given you a week to study the league, to see what everybody's about. We've already had some injuries, Dak Prescott in Dallas and among others. What, what's your, what's based on that? Having seen week one, what's your uh, Super Bowl prediction? Well, I am a consultant with the Rams, so I got to pick the Rams, right? <laughs> there you go. But I do think that, you know, I think they're going to be fine. They have some new offensive linemen, obviously over there. They're going to chill and the Cooper cup Stafford. I think Aaron Donald and uh, Jalen Ramsey, the best one, two punch in the NFL on defense. So, uh, I think they'll be fine. Um, I think in AFC, I think you got to look at Buffalo. Uh, what they've done on defense is impressive to me. And when you have a quarterback like Josh Allen, it's 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 awesome. And then you'll see Kansas City versus the Chargers on Thursday night. One of those two teams, I think, obviously uh, are very, very good and, and going to be in the running without a doubt. So I think those three teams, in my mind, in the AFC are the teams to beat. If you're not talking about the Rams, I love the Bucks defense. I love the way they play defense. I love uh, the way they're coached on defense. And uh, – and obviously, Tom Brady is a demand. So those are the teams that I like. Good deal. Yeah, but I, I, you know, obviously a silly, a silly question uh, posed the way I did with with yeah. the Rams. But yes, uh, uh, understood. Uh, Jay, greatly appreciate it. Look forward to doing this each week with you uh, during the year. And uh, yeah, we'll 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 see what happens this week in Detroit. Thanks a lot, man. You got it. Thanks.